is what it means to be an experiential believer, an experiential believer. You, we had a, a testimony this morning talking about chance, and he had an experience with God. Folks, if you've never had an experience, especially when, when you say that you're saved, are you truly saved? Maybe it's been so long that you can't remember that experience, that giving of yourself, that surrender of yourself to God. Then it's time for you to pray that the Lord open your eyes. What, what is hindering you to worship Him and to, to experience Him? You've got to ask yourself that question. Um, you know, Brother A.W. was given that little joke here a minute ago and uh, reminded me of a man where I get all my sayings, or I used to get all my sayings years ago. They moved away and they moved back into uh, the land area and we came across them in, uh, in uh, McDonald's uh, on Monday. I needed new shoes because I messed mine up uh, doing work outside on Sunday. So... <laughs> That's what we were doing, and Amanda wanted uh, something for breakfast. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, they walk in the door, and I go, well, if it ain't Bud, and he goes, well, if it ain't Joe, and I said, how you feeling? He sa or I said, how you doing? He said, finer than frog hair in a biscuit, and he comes up with all these weird things, and I thought to myself later, I wish I'd have thought of it at the time, he must be eating at McDonald's. Anyway, a pastor was visiting a home of one of the parishioners, and at the house it seemed obvious that someone was at home. But no one came to his repeated knocks at the door. And so he took out a business card that had printed on the back, Revelation 3.20, and he stuck it in the door. Well, when the offering was passed on that Sunday, what happened? Well, one of them found the card had been returned to him. And underneath on the back where it was printed Revelation 3.20 was a cryptic message which read Genesis 3.10. Now someone from the counting team brought this to his attention and he reached for his Bible to check out what this citation was and, and as he read he couldn't help but laugh. Why, you may ask? Well, because Revelation 3.20 says... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And Genesis 3.10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid for I was naked. So, by the way, that has nothing to do with the sermon. I just like the joke. <laughs> we're, back, we're back in 1 Corinthians, uh, continuing our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we know that Paul preached the gospel in Corinth in the early 50s A.D. during his second missionary journey. We know that he had tremendous opposition there, uh, but he spoke the gospel with faith and with fervor and with power. And he was going to leave, but in a vision the Lord showed him that he had many people in the city. And with that encouragement, Paul stayed on for 18 months and he taught them the word of God. God used Paul's ministry when he was ready to give up to birth and establish the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. 
I'll be reading out of the New King James for this portion. And it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all the rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for in it we find truth and we find life. We thank you, Lord, that, that uh, you have given us this text to remind us of several different things, but especially that we can trust you, and we thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, I just ask that you would use me this morning beyond my capabilities, and I'll praise you for it in advance, Lord. Touch our hearts, change our lives. Let us never leave this place the same way we walked in, in Jesus' name, amen. True experiential believers, guess what, will face hardship. I know that to a lot of us in here, you know, you know this. But guess what? You are going to experience some hardship if you belong to Christ. But you will see Jesus in his victory. It's coming. Keep the faith. First thing you got to ask yourself about being an experiential believer is, are you sure you're an experiential believer? That's point number one. Are you sure you're an experiential believer? You know, we've been talking about the resurrection of the dead last week. We talked about um, how it's going to happen. But, you know, Paul, in, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's going to assure us of this, while at the same time shaming us if we don't believe it. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and I'm going to read out of the Berean Standard Bible, or Berean Study Bible, and it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to him." The Christian life is not just some ascent of the mind. It is not knowledge that we just believe in our minds. But it's more than that. It's more than just facts that are true. 
Think of it like this. And, and y'all saw I pulled this chair out, right? See, I made a mistake. I didn't let people know I was using this chair as an illustration. So I wondered where it went. <laughs> so in my mind, I know that this chair, even though it's made of plastic, should hold me up. There should be no problems with that, right? After it holds me up, it will. Okay, I promise. I'll put it back. <laughs> ah, Alan, I love you. It's commanded. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, praise the Lord for that. Um, so in my mind, I know that this chair will hold me up. However, my experience may be different. You ever sat in a chair and it collapsed underneath you? Isn't that a great feeling? And I don't mean physically. I mean, ooh, that guy just sat in it and I just sat in it. and it, I don't know what happened. But, um, and, and those, you know, it's kind of like that in church. Those who have been in church all their lives, well, they pretty much know the gospel. They pretty much know gee, what it means to be a Christian. But do they have an experiential knowledge that goes beyond what they know in their mind? Do they have an experiential knowledge that can be trusted that it will hold them up? Now, I've experienced this particular chair before, and by experience I can tell you that I trust it to hold me up. Okay? Because why? Because it is a chair. And it is a good chair. Because the craftsman who made it, made it to be a chair. It has its own duty, its own function. It doesn't want to be a table. It wants to be what it was made to be, and that's a chair. If you're in this room or online or listening by audio, God wants you to be what he made you to be. And that is a believer. And not a believer in head, but a believer in the heart, in experience. So I know that I can trust. Whoo, I'm glad it didn't break. This chair. I, well, no, that was just it settling like a foundation. Um, so <laughs> this chair will hold me up, and I know that. And if I'm a believer, I know that I'm a believer. I can know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus knows me. And I know him. And I want everybody to let the deacon know it's behind the railing where it belongs. <laughs> this is the gospel. Though the experience of salvation and the subsequent walking with God in faith, which is in itself an experiential faith, it's something that's experienced. You can't say that I have faith and then not have faith. You can't say that I have faith and trust God and then turn around and fret and, and try to figure out a way to make things happen. That's why God always gets the bad rap. He's always the last person or, or that you go to. And yes, I said God is a person. He is a person. But he always seems to be the last one you go to. When he should be the first one we go to. Because we have had experience. 
I don't go to a table and try to sit on that. I have done that in the past, and I know better. Not only is it bad for my back, it's bad for the table, usually. Especially them plastic tables we got in the, in the secondary kitchen there. Which, by the way, if you missed breakfast, whoo, you missed a good breakfast. That was a good breakfast. So, I say all that to say God will hold me up. I can trust by my experience and by the experience of others that God will hold me up. If it seems like he isn't, then that means I don't see the big picture. Did you know Jesus didn't say that you're going to have happy times all your life? Jesus didn't say that you're not going to have trials and tribulations. Jesus didn't say that things aren't going to go wrong. He said, I'd walk with you through it. That's what he said. If it seems like he isn't there, guess what? You're wrong. Ask him to show himself, and he will. Depends on how hard you're going to seek him, though. Depends on how hard you're going to seek him. I don't see the big picture. He allows all of us to only see the things that we're involved in. We don't get to see how one event that seems bad has changed our attitude, has changed who we are. God used what was meant for our destruction for His good. God has used that situation to mold you into the person you are today, to spread the gospel, to share the gospel, and to see somebody saved. You may have not realized it, Christian, but you had to go through that hard time to get where you are now so that somebody can come to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior. But you know what else is great too? I don't need to see the big picture either. I can trust God. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he also tells us in 2 Peter 3, 8, Beloved, do not let this one thing escape your notice. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to be perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If Jesus says we're going to be raised from the dead at the end of the, at the, end of the, the day during the rapture, guess what? We're all going to be raised. God said it, I believe it, and that's it. You may call me insane, but I don't care what you call me. I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please God. And if I happen to please you in that process, well, praise the Lord. So Paul says with certainty that Jesus was raised from the dead. There's no doubt in his writing. There's no room for a maybe, but it is a certainty the Bible was true then, and it's true now. It is the inerrant Word of God and shows us the path to salvation and the paths of salvation. 
how we should walk therein. The Bible shows me how to come to Jesus and how to walk with Jesus. He is the second in the Trinity and is the God-man, and that is He is 100% God and 100% man. I don't understand it fully. I don't have to understand it fully, but I trust because I have experienced God's goodness in salvation and in my life. And as Peter said in John six sixty-seven, not Peter... But as John said in John 6, 67, so Jesus asked the 12, do you want to leave too? You see, what had happened was, is he had given a sermon, and, and some of y'all think some of my sermons uh, don't make a whole lot of uh, sense, and, and maybe I was a little too harsh. Can you imagine, you've got this group of people, hundreds of people, and Jesus tells a sermon or tells a parable, and all of a sudden, they all leave. Because it was too harsh. And so he turns to his 12 who will become apostles and he says, Do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I can't tell you how many times I have been mad at God. What, Pastor, you've been mad at God? Yep, so have you, don't lie. Don't lie in church, you've been mad at God. But you know what always comes to my remembrance thanks to the Holy Spirit? Always brings it to my remembrance and always makes me have to repent. Every time. To whom else would I go? Who else has eternal life? God. It gets me every time. If he wishes it to be so, then it is so. That's it. Paul says... That Jesus is the first fruits of those who have died. Those who have fallen asleep in him. As a man, he is the first fruits of the current harvest. The current covenant that was established in his blood. He was raised so we can trust that we will be raised too. Why? Because we're also a part of the same harvest. Did you know that? Luke twenty two twenty says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's in his blood. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we'll be doing that next week, so be here for that. Communion Sunday. Nice little plug there. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to him. To truly understand this, to truly understand this, you've got to understand a term called federal headship. And I'm just going to put the, the iceberg tip here, and we're not going to cover all of it, but we're going to cover some of it. But to truly understand it, you've got to understand federal he headship as it relates to this portion of Scripture. It's enough to know that Eve fell under Adam's leadership or headship. So it was Adam who was held accountable for both his and her sin, though they both have consequences for their part in their disobedience. 
Now, since Jesus has taken the Christian out of the headship of Adam and placed them under his leadership, under his headship, we come to know the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has taken us on and made us new. He has promised to make us alive and complete the work of salvation on his return by giving us a new body. And I want mine to be at least six feet tall and slender. Because I've been fat all my life and 5'3 all my life. I'd, 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 like some, I'd like to look down for once. But I'll get whatever he gives me and I'll be happy with it. But how do we know this? How do we know? Is it by head knowledge? Well, yeah, we read the Bible. But not just head knowledge, because we know by our experience with God that we can trust Him. That we can trust Him. And that's what's missing in a lot of people's lives today that call themselves Christians. They've forgotten that we can trust Him. Are you sure that you've had that experiential change? If not, we can introduce you to Jesus. We can't save you, but we can introduce you. Number two, experiential believers will see the end and rebirth of all things. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday, which I thought was interesting. It kind of lined up with the sermon, just like... Earlier, it lined up with the sermon, with that testimony. You see, you think God knows what he's got going on, don't you? He knows what he's doing. Experiential believers will see the end and rebirth of all things. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that God has put everything under his feet, now when it says that everything has been put under him, this clearly does not include the one who put everything under him. And that is God the Father. And when all things have been subjected to him, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all. Let me break this down a little bit. The end will come. You do know that there's an end to this earth. Some people are saying, well, he's been gone 2,000 years. We just read that 1,000 years is like a day to him. So he's only been gone like two days max. So chill out. 2 Corinthians 12.1, the end will come, and it will be revealed. And we're told this in 2 Corinthians 12.1. Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to gain. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or out of it, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. The things he heard were too sacred for words, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about such a man, but I will not boast about myself except in my weaknesses. Even if I wanted to boast, I would not be a a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will credit me 
with more than he sees or hears from me. Paul writes that after all kingdoms, all authorities, all powers on this earth are destroyed, then he is complete and will destroy death. All men will come and submit and worship Jesus. Why? Because they are those that we call the saved today. Because there won't be unsaved in the millennial kingdom. Or beyond the millennial kingdom. All that will remain on the earth for the new heavens and earth that will remain is the Christian in a new body before the Lord always. It says we'll be before the Lord always. I don't even know what that looks like. It's got to be awesome, though. Think about that. It's got to be awesome. No, we're not going to sit there and play harps all day, but to be in the presence of God always. I can't wrap my head around that. Now, at this point, there will be no corruptible flesh left. Sin will have run its course, and death will be destroyed because it has no more power over the saved. Then the Son will hand it all over to God the Father. And this is where God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will reign on earth. And that is the new Jerusalem. So what will that look like? What will the new Jerusalem look like? Well, we're told in several places in Scripture, but I'm going to read just a portion out of Revelation 21.1. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are faithful and true. And he told me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. The one who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But to the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, and the sexually immoral, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. Verses 9 through 21, there's this physical description of the city that will be on the new earth. And you can read that at your own leisure. But I'm going to jump to Revelation 21, 22. And it says, but I saw... No temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The place where God dwells. That's what the temple was for. It was known as the place where God dwells. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its lamp. What would that be like? You know, they made, they made Moses when he saw God's backside. He didn't even see all of God's glory. He didn't even see all of God's light. They made him wear a veil because it was too much for them. Folks, there's not going to be a need for a veil. There's not going to be a need 
for any of that because we will see all of God's glory. We will see all of God's light. And the light that we see will be the light in New Jerusalem. It will illuminate the city. The Lamb is its lamp. Going on, it says, By its light the nations will walk, and into it the kings of the earth will bring their glory. Its gates will never be shut at the end of the day, because there will be no night there. And into the city will be brought the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who practices an abomination or lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written there? If not, you don't show, you're not sure, you need to get sure. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. I love that nor anyone who practices an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the main street of the city on either side of the river stood a tree of life. A tree of life. Stood a tree of life. Life. Do you get that? Life bearing 12 kinds of fruit and yielding a fresh crop for each month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be within the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night in the city, and they will have no need for the light of a lamp or the sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. You know, this past Wednesday, we talked a, a little more in depth than even this about the New Jerusalem. And I'm sorry that some of you missed it, but in, in my most humbled opinion, I thought it was a good study. You know, especially the speaker, I thought he was really good. But uh, I'm not biased or anything at all, you know. Some of y'all get that joke on the way home, I hope. Um, experiential believers have no problem facing hard truths. Experiential believers have no problem facing hard truths. No, they don't like it, but they will face it. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 says, If these things are not so, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, brothers, as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. For human motives, what did I gain if the dead are not raised? What? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Sober up as you ought and stop sinning. For some of you are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. You know, there was a, a practice that was going on and it, it's in the Corinthian church and it even continues today, and that's called the baptizing of the dead. And in this instant, Paul is not condoning this, nor is he condemning this practice. He's just using it as an illustration. This practice has been abandoned because it's, it's not logical, as true baptism is the believer's baptism, not some proxy baptism. Um, it, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, because baptism is a sign to the world that you follow Christ. You are proclaiming this openly. To do so invites persecution, if not martyrdom for most believers around the world. 
We're lucky here. We don't have that yet, but it's coming. A dead person cannot declare that they are gods. Do you know why? Because they're dead, as in not alive. Just thought I'd throw that out there. So it makes no sense to baptize them in proxy. However, Paul is pointing out that if they believe that Jesus is not raised, while, they're, while, while baptism is a covenant sign of the new covenant, which, by the way, is in his blood, which includes the resurrection, then why in the world do they have this ridiculous ritual where they're, they're baptizing for the dead in the name of the dead? That's ridiculous. And Paul points out some, some of his sacrifices here to the Lord that he has made. If there is no resurrection, he says, then why would he face death every day? Why? Well, there's no point in it, right? If there is no resurrection, then why would he fight, fight wild animals in Ephesus? What gain would there be to him? If there is no resurrection, then Paul states, we should all just, you know, do the, the, do the old saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, you know. Let's get the most out of it we can. Another saying is used after that, and it says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, stay away from false teachers and those who deny the essentials of the Christian faith. I would never go worship at a pagan temple, a church of Satan, or a kingdom hall, or a Mormon temple for that matter. Why? Because they don't worship the one and true living God. They all deny the gospel. Some outright and some reject an essential part of the gospel. So I'm not going to worship there. Stay away from them. Nine times out of ten, you are right. Yep. And now Paul tells them a hard truth. One in which today I'm afraid that most churches would throw him out. Most churches would throw Paul out. For being so blunt. So let me be as blunt as Paul. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Sober up as you ought and stop sinning. For some of you are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Wow. All right, who's ready to lynch me? Come on. Uh, just Al? Okay. All right, moving on. You know, other translates translate this passage not as harsh as it really should have been from the original language. And I like the Berean Standard Bi or Study Bible uh, for its rendering here. They didn't pull any punches. Remember the church at Corinth, what did they love to do at their love feasts, at their communions, at their remembrances? They loved to be drunk. Remember, he said, do not be drunk on wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were, they were good at sinning in multiple areas of life, and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells them to stop. Don't be a drunkard. Why? Because you're ignorant of God. That's why. Then to make sure they really got it and that there's no room for the mistake, he writes, I say this to your shame. Ouch. They already knew they were being shamed, but thanks for putting it out there, Brother Paul. Thank you, Jesus, for writing that in there for me so I can really know I'm shamed. And you know what? We should be if we're in the same boat as the Corinthians. Because to deny the resurrection denies 
the tenant of the gospel. You cannot have the gospel. You cannot be saved and deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved and deny your resurrection because if you belong to him and you're under his headship, under his leadership, he's the first fruit, we're going to go up with it just like he did, just later. So if you remember nothing, remember this. True experiential believers face hardships. But you know what? We get to see his victory too. We get to see his victory. As the ladies come...